Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. Across from me is one Charles W. Chuck Bryant. And uh, since there's a couple of uh, microphones in front of us, that would make this Stuff You Should Know the all-audio podcast, all goodness, all the time. And in the other room is guest producer uh, Elizabeth, Lizzie. Yeah. Our old buddy is back here working. Yeah. Which is nice. Giving us um, pieces of dried mango. And in between, she worked for Emily, and so I just I haven't been able to lose Lizzie. That's good. She's <laughs> not one you want to lose. Lizzie's no. awesome. Stop picking on Lizzie, Chuck. I'm a big fan. I started the Lizzie fan club here. Oh, really? Yeah, and then I dissolved it. I was going to say, I, I've not <laughs> been invited to that. It was just me. Chuck, you remember when we were on the call with a senior White House official yesterday? Yeah, that was kind of cool, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. White House. Yeah, Obama administration. That's who's in there. Uh, basically, we were talking about the, um, well, we were basically going over the talking points for the energy security policy that he unveiled today. Yes. As of this recording, March 31st, right? That's right. 30th. And, oh, is tomorrow the 31st? Yeah, that's right. March 30th. So he goes over this, or, or she's going over this with us. And um, basically, Obama has said that he, over the next decade, he wants to reduce American oil imports by a third, right? And something that every president going back to, I think Nixon has said that. Same okay. Thing. All right. So it's an ambitious goal is what you're saying. Well, not necessarily a third, but yeah, they all, there's a video that John Stewart ran on the Daily Show where it literally showed the same clip from like our last five presidents. It's awesome. Saying reduce foreign dependency on oil. They have the best researchers on that show. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Well, Obama took his uh, rightful place following in the footsteps of Richard Nixon <laughs> and um, has, has said that he wants to reduce the, our, our imports by a third in about 10 years. Um, and one way to do that is to um, figure out how to conserve oil, how to reduce use, mm-hmm. e.g. a smarter grid, more wind power, more nuclear, <laughs> um, more... Um, clean coal? Clean that? coal is another one. Natural gas. Mm-hmm. No, clean coal. And to basically get online our reserves that we have now. Right. So the big talking point around Washington with the Democrats right now is that Oil is um, that the the oil companies have leases on something like seventy nine million acres mm-hmm. of um, of oil land, right? Suspected oil land that we're not tapping, right? That's not being used. They yeah. just own these leases, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, I think like nineteen million acres are actually being mined for their oil, right? Or natural gas. And Obama's position is. Hey, you fat cats, um, you need to go ahead and start producing or else we're going to penalize you. Like invest in the United States. Yeah, come off some of these profits and start spending on exploration and production. Right. And get American oil out of the ground, which is hugely different than what he was saying he should do before. Right. Which is like no offshore drilling, nothing like that. Right. Um, so it, it's kind of a big deal that he's really putting oil at the center of his energy security policy. Um, but one thing we asked that they didn't really answer very well is what role does preventing speculation in the commodities market play right. in energy security? That's I get, my question. I get the sense, 
And this is one of those topics, again, that, you know, Chuck's little guitar-playing English major brain has a hard time wrapping around this. Yeah. But I get the feeling that there's not a lot of people in the government that want to talk a lot about oil speculation. It's sort of like, don't bring that up. No, um, which is strange because it's whole, you know, there was that whole kicking around Wall Street um, during the recession Mm -hmm. thing that was going on. And that seems to have been largely abandoned. Right. Um, But the question of whether or not oil speculation is affecting oil prices today, uh, it still remains. Oil's up to, uh, I think, AAA saying a national average of 360 right now for uh, unleaded, for regular. That's a national average. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. That's oh. crippling. Yeah. In, in, well, I know the recession ended. I just made air quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, but people are hurting. Uh, food prices are increasing. Oil prices are increasing. Gas prices are increasing. And, um, a $3.60 gallon of gas is crippling to the average American. Yeah. And that's average. I mean, you go to some places like uh, California and they're in the summertime, they may be creeping up over five bucks a gallon. Yeah. So a lot of money for a gallon of gas. Yes, it is. A barrel of oil today is trading for OPEC. By the way, it stands to make one trillion in revenues in 2011. That's the course it's on right now. That's a, yeah, that's a lot. It's a lot of cash. Yeah, I can't even um, say it. So, so uh, the there there's this idea out there that oil trading at 115 a barrel should actually be trading at something like. Um, 90 a barrel. Right. And that oil speculation is accounting for um, 20 to $25 on top of the, the barrel price and accounts for a lot of this increase yeah. in, in um, the, the price of oil. So this is nothing new. This is going on right now in 2011, but it just happened in 2008. Do you remember when oil hit $4 a gallon? It hit 411 as a national average, which is the highest ever. Yeah. I, I remember when July fourteenth, two thousand seven. So two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Yeah, I remember when it took the first big jump. Um, whenever that was, I was living in L.A. and I remember it got over two dollars a gallon, and it was a big jump. It was mm-hmm. like one weekend it was, you know, a dollar eighty five. Then the next weekend it was like two thirty five. That would have probably been like two thousand three or two thousand four. Yeah, it was a big. It was like a fifty cent jump or something like that. Um, don't quote me. I'm going on my feeble memory, but uh, I remember saying at the time, you know what? I just had a feeling said, this is something different. Gas is never going to be this cheap again. Never going to go back down. You know, in 1999, the average was 90 cents a gallon. 1999, it was, it was so 12 years ago, 90 cents yeah. a gallon. Now we're all, we're at 360. And we've already hit four and change for an average. Yeah, right? I remember filling the little Honda up for like, you know, $14. Uh, yes, that was just so beautiful. And now it it's like so good. $60. Yeah. So, um... Chuck, from 2004 to 2008, the uh, the price of a barrel of crude oil increased from $31.61 in 2004 to $137.11 in July 2008. Crazy. Right? So gas prices grew from 193 to 409 over that same period. There's a lot of things. There's so much that goes into oil production that could affect the markets. Yeah. Instability. Right, right now, people are taking to the streets of Yemen and Syria, and once in a while in Iran, um, they are um, they they are overthrowing the government in Egypt. There's a civil war going on in Libya. Libya's oil production is virtually offline right now. Yeah. So, so Venezuela, if, if, a little unstable. It, well, it depends on who you're asking. 
It's actually pretty stable. It's just socialist, which is why everybody's like, oh, that's a dangerous country. Well, yeah, sure. If you're America, it is, right? But that's one of the reasons that people said, you know, geopolitics in these instabil- uh, unstable regions that produce oil has a lot to do with it. But uh, Michigan Senator Carl Levin, mm-hmm. during a hearing, said, you know what? Yeah, it's unstable, but it's been unstable for decades. And we've been buying oil from them, no yeah. problem. As so that's not the fact, reason. Or that's um, what he claimed, at least. Right. And Hugo Chavez, um, remember for through Sitco, that's the Venezuelan oil company, right? That that's here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Through Sitco, remember he used to donate like a million gallons of heating oil to people in the Northeast to keep them alive, right? And that was like he, he, basically him saying like, "This is what socialism gets you, people of Boston." What do right. you think of that? <laughs> How warm are you? Um, yeah, so it, it's un- unstable in that he's not a f- friend of America. We we're, we're not capable of pushing him around. And we need their oil. Right. But we have a detente because people like money. Economies like money, and we want to buy their oil, so everybody just chill out. What's more, with this um, recent uh, drop in production that, that's represented by Libya going into civil war, Saudi Arabia stepped up and said, you know what, that's 3% of the, the oil that's uh-huh. produced every day. Right. And we're going to add an extra 3% to make up for this temporary shortfall. Right. So there actually isn't any kind of dent in the production or supply side. Well, no, because you mentioned in the article, like, could it be peak oil? But no, it's not peak oil. Cause well, tell them what peak oil is. Well, peak oil, do we not podcast on that yet? No, we never have. I mean, we need to do that. That's the point where, you know, there's only a finite amount of oil. So once we cross that little threshold, mm-hmm. it's like all of a sudden there's getting less and less oil. Yeah, and there's there's a whole um, group of people out there, very educated, smart people. They're not crackpots, although sometimes people look at them like that, who who believe we have past peak oil, right. and it's going to take us five years or ten years to figure it out. But by that time, it'll be way too late, and the, the world's going to come to a grinding halt for a while until we can figure out what to do. Um, a lot of people think that we haven't hit peak oil and if you look at um the at least the published figures right saudi arabia is often accused of fudging on their numbers i think they were found to um, a while back but most people say no supply still exceeds demand right which if you look at mr adam smith's the wealth of nations the the basis of the capitalist economy mm-hmm. if supply exceeds demand prices should remain low and oil is not the kind of thing you want rewriting the rules of uh, base economics. No, because ultimately it's a commodity. And a commodity yeah. is something that we can make things out of or something we need. Uh, wheat is a commodity. We need that. Pork belly. Pork belly is a commodity. It's my favorite it's one. the most delicious commodity. <laughs> yes. um, and oil is a very, very vital commodity. So if Carl Levin's saying... Yeah, that's unstable, but we're, we we can deal with them. Right. If Saudi Arabia is saying yes, Libya is offline right now. Right. Um, but we're going to make up the shortfall. If if we haven't actually passed peak oil and the supply still exceeds the demand, mm-hmm. a lot of people are saying, why is oil so high? Why is it increasing and increasing? And there's a correlation that's going on right now. Right. The the answer to that, obviously, for a lot of people's minds, and I'm not taking a position on this because it is a very controversial thing to say that is oil speculation. Yeah, there's speculation that the speculation is what's driving up the price. Right. That's perfect, Chuck. Yeah. Uh, and one of the ways that it's being, um, I guess, suggested is that from, July, I think, July of 2008, uh, there were 617,000 oil futures contracts on the market. On the oil commodities market. Can we explain what a future is? Real well, quick? hold on. We'll go okay. back. All right. I just wanted to get this one last stat out, and we'll go gotcha. back to the beginning. Um, 
And then July or January of 2011. Uh-huh. So July of 2008, 617,000. January of 2011, 1 million uh, futures contracts on the oil market. Yeah, that's right. And between those two times, after the last bubble burst, it's been creeping up and up and up. Prices have basically commensurate with oil futures contracts. Right. So it really looks a lot like it could be oil speculation that's driving up the prices. Yes. So let's talk about oil speculation. Yes, and my mind starts to melt starting now. Okay. All right, Josh, a future, uh, and you're going to have to help me with this, but um, any kind of future is a contract between a buyer and a seller. Mm -hmm. A buyer agrees to purchase uh, a fixed amount of a commodity at a fixed price. And oil future, we're talking about oil, obviously. Mm -hmm. So it's different than actually buying into a commodity because you're just betting on whether or not it will be higher or lower at the end of your contract. Right. Is that correct? A future is a derivative, and a derivative is any kind of financial contract or right. instrument that's the value of which is based on the value of something else. It's You know what it is? To me, to my little brain that doesn't think about this stuff well, is it's a made-up way to make money almost. That's exactly right. It's like someone created this and said, hey, this doesn't even exist. Right. But as long as there's someone buying and selling it, it does exist. because So a futures contract is very standard. It, it's not an exotic financial instrument. Right. But the way that it's being used in the, the derivatives market is um, extremely exotic and volatile. So, Chuck, you have a bunch of oil. And I, I have a refinery over here. Sweet. In my backyard. Why are we podcasting? And, uh, well, I'm, I'm saving up for, okay. for a better life for it. <laughs> Um, so it, it, I want to buy some oil from you. All right. But I think that oil, the price of, of crude is going to go up, you know, a year from now. Per barrel. Right. And I'm going to, so I'm going to go ahead and buy it for the market price now. Right. Right. And, um, you're going to sell me a futures contract. So we have a, an agreement. Right. That a year from now in, um, at the end of March, 2012, mm-hmm. The that contract expires because right. you have to, I have to buy that oil from you. Yeah. Okay. But not now. A year from now. Right. Now, if I'm right, and oil goes up, say I, I I'm buying a hundred barrels at fifty bucks a barrel. That's our future contract. So our contracts are five grand. Right. Um, if it goes up, if the price of oil goes up to fifty two dollars a barrel a mm-hmm. year from now. Right. I just got fifty barrels of oil for two hundred bucks less than I should have paid. It's a good deal for you. It is. But a futures um, contract is also, um, well, it's a bet, right? Yeah. Because the price of oil could go down. Right. I said in 2012, at the end of March 2012, I'll buy those 50 barrels of oil from you for 50 bucks. But if the value of oil in March 2012 is 48 bucks a barrel, right. then I'm paying 200 more than I could have if I just bought on what's called the spot market, which is I go to you, I want your oil right, right now, and you sell it to me for whatever the market price is. Right. And if this sounds weird, it's not so different than it betting on whether or not a stock will go up or down. It's the same thing. It, it is. But in a lot of ways, it's just kind of... It, it, it's it's saying it, it can also it also comes into play if if I don't need oil right now right but I'm going to need it in the future and I think it's going to go up right right now when the real bet comes in that's when, when I'm when I'm saying that I think it's going to go up uh-huh. I, I'm going to go long that's called going long yeah and at the end of this contract you're actually going to get oil correct if you're holding the contract yeah and that I have with uh-huh. you 
um, then yes. So I that have is to f- buy oil from you. Right. That you is can a come future. to me and be like, give me my money. I'll give you your oil. Right. But that's an important thing to distinguish because that is a future and that means actually oil is being traded at some point. Right. And that's a normal thing. Right. Okay. Now, that's going long if I'm betting that oil prices are going to go up. If right. I think oil prices are going to fall, I'll go short. Yes. Right? So that's virtually the same thing. We go into a contract, right? So, Chuck, let's say conversely, um, you you think that oil's going to go down, so you're happy to sell me a futures contract. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. Um, the, the price of oil goes down. Right. Yeah. We we sell, we say for you know five grand. Uh-huh. Um, the price of oil goes down to forty eight bucks a barrel. Right. And you buy that contract back from me mm-hmm. at the market price. You just made two hundred bucks. Sweet. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So there's going short and there's going long. But as you said, uh, in a standard commodities market, that there's not a secondary deriv- derivatives market going on. Right. Then, it ultimately there's going to be an exchange of oil. Yes. The secondary derivatives market. You never get caught with the contract when it expires. You're trading contracts day by day, moment by moment, <laughs> as the price of oil changes up and down throughout the day. Uh-huh. You're making money off of those fluctuations by buying and selling, by shorting and longing um, the the uh, price of oil on these contracts. And that is speculation. That, okay, leads to what's called an artificial market. Right. Supply and demand no longer applies to the commodity itself. Supply and demand is also subject to the to the uh, fi- the financial instruments as well. Yeah, the whims of who has a lot of money and can affect a market right. with a big purchase. Right. So that's called uh, an unstable market because it's you don't it's very volatile. It's not it's not nearly as steady as a real tangible market. No, uh, I mean artificial. if you look at if you look at a you know um, a, just a regular commodities market where there aren't any futures or derivatives um, trading by anybody besides the people who actually will end up with this stuff. Uh-huh. It, there's the changes, the fluctuations over you know a month or a year or a quarter are you know a, pennies or a, a buck or two here. It's when investment banks and hedge funds, yeah. who, by the way, when interest rates are very, very low, right. tend to turn to the commodities market for to safely park their money, right? Because they're not going to make much much money when interest rates are low. Right. Um, they turn to the commodities market. When they get involved, that's when things start going from 30 bucks a barrel in 2004 to $140 a barrel in 2008. Right. And that's what happened with the housing... Uh bust, all of a sudden, Wall Street, housing wasn't a good place to put any money, so Wall Street flocked over to speculation, mm-hmm. futures, oil futures. Right. And and um, we should say, again, that this is this is all very much debatable. Yes. This is, if you believe that oil speculation is affecting oil, this is how it happens, right? Yeah, we're just explaining that. That's what we do. Well, th- what we just explained was how derivatives trading works. This is no secret. It's the effect that it has. That's what's That's what's debatable. So, the people who believe that there is consequences for oil, for derivatives trading, yeah. say that here's what happens, right? If you want, if, if you want to get your hands on actual oil, mm-hmm. right, you aren't going to be able to keep up with an investment bank or a hedge fund manager who is buying up futures. Right. So you're going to need oil now, and you're going to have to stockpile. It's one good thing about oil is you can stockpile it for a while, right? Well, and oil producers can hoard it. That that's exactly right as well. But there's you can also 
the derivatives market in futures can also inadvertently force a hoard among people who actually use the oil, right? Who are buying oil for use, not just trading in the derivatives market, right? By saying, okay, I can't buy futures because they're just too expensive right now. So I'm going to buy whatever I can get my hands on. So the spot market that deals in actual oil uh-huh. right that moment has a higher demand, which means the actual price of oil goes up, which means those oil futures go up even further, which means prices across the board rise, especially for gasoline. That's right. And when big companies like uh, Goldman Sachs and Citigroup are, these huge financial institutions are buying up tons and tons of, uh, or speculating, Mm -hmm. then that's going to have a really big sway on the market. That alone will, right? They stand to gain tons of cash. Tons of cash. But imagine if you not only stood to gain tons of cash from the secondary market, but you're an oil producer as well. Yeah, and all of a sudden you're speculating on your own production? Or buying oil futures. If you buy a bunch of oil futures for right. a higher price, right, right. you can actually, the, the market um, uh, trades on rumor, right? Right. So people are like, well, somebody's buying up a bunch of this stuff or, and the price is actually rising, right? Mm-hmm. So then a lot of people are going to be willing to pay more and more and more. If you're an oil producer doing that, then you're going to stand to gain through the financial instruments and through the actual sale of your <laughs> yeah. oil. And there was an investigation into this, um, the, the secondary oil markets that found that in the New York Mercantile Exchange alone, which is a, the commodities market or one of them for the U.S., right. um, 11% of the oil futures contracts were owned by Vital, which is a Swiss oil producer. Yeah. So how, Chuck, how can an oil company be allowed to artificially inflate the price of oil for its own gains? And how can investment banks be allowed to drive up the price, if that is in fact what's going on? How can they be allowed to drive up the price of a commodity as valuable as oil if normally it should be something like 30 or 40 or $50 a barrel and it's double or triple or quadruple right. what, what experts believe its actual value should be? Well, it shouldn't be able to happen because they're, uh, starting in 1974 with our Congress, there was something put in place called the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, the CFTC, and they were put in place specifically to prevent this kind of thing from speculation, artificially inflating prices of commodities. So they were like... Right. They've realized a long time ago this could be a real problem. Let's put this thing in place and let's uh, make them keep it in check. So if you were trading uh, on that exchange, you got to file reports every day. Mm-hmm. The commission looks them over, uh, keeps an eye out for speculation. They know if somebody's trying to corner the market. They sure. know who. And they try to stop it. Yeah. But quite a few things have happened to neuter, for the most part, the CFTC. Yeah, because you can create a federal agency and empower it all you want. But if successive presidents disagree with you about the value of that that agency, they can neglect it, they can strip it of its powers, they can, as you say, neuter it, and not even have the courtesy to put noodles on it (laughs) afterward. (laughs) Just leave it laying there, you know? So in 2000, a very big thing happened. Uh, Prices were still pretty low for oil, less than 30 bucks a barrel. But uh, a little company called Enron started lobbying Congress to remove regulatory powers of the CFTC. And basically what the deal was, the CFTC um, had regulatory powers over the official exchange. Right. So Enron says, hey. The New York Mercantile Exchange. Yeah. And uh, CFTC, I'm sorry, Enron said, hey, you know, we've got this software that allows futures to be traded over the counter, which is 
something outside of the formal exchange market. Right. It's basically like you, I can say, hey, Chuck, um, you've got a bunch of futures like in your pocket. Can I come to your house and buy it? Yeah. And it will be a legitimate exchange, but it's over the counter. It exists outside of the market. That's right. right. And that became known as the Enron loophole because all of a sudden OTC trading was allowed for futures exchanges with no government oversight because it was out of the jurisdiction right. of the CFTC. So, Josh, that was one thing. Happened in 2000. Then another little thing came along. Uh, called the Intercontinental Exchange. The ICE was set up in London, and that was to trade European oil futures. And the funny thing about that is it was headquartered here in Atlanta. So it's headquartered in Atlanta, but it's mm-hmm. European oil futures, so the CFTC didn't have any uh, oversight over them because it was European. Right, so um, you could trade American oil futures on this Exchange. Well, six years later, that's when they set up the American terminals that yeah, allow that. Think about it. Like the time in London and the time in New York are totally different, and that's kind of a problem. Right. So, really, if you can get these commodities, the same commodities trading on the same time zone, you can really uh, create a uh, you 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 have a uh, more robust market. That's right. And now, all of a sudden, the CFTC couldn't even regulate these formal exchanges on the formal mar- uh, former formal market. Right. Even though it was based in Atlanta, yeah. they set up trading posts, trading posts, terminals inside the United States. In New York. But at, it was at the NYMEX exchange. It's almost like the OTB. Like, oh, horse racing's illegal, but you can this race is in Cuba. Right. And but you can bet on it in, you know, on the lower east side. Yes. And so as these things just kept going and going, um the the uh, the CFTC just lost any jurisdiction whatsoever, and very um, crafty people that are coming up with these things. Yes, they're basically saying like, let's set up a way where we can make gobs of money outside of regulation, and I mean outside of regulation. Yeah, people have no idea. Uh, I was reading some blog post and it was about how the aluminum market was being cornered by somebody, really? and they thought it was some hedge fund manager, and they had an idea who, but not enough to publish. But they have no idea who's buying what. There's, it's all, it all exists in the shadows. The derivatives market do because it's outside of the jurisdiction of this federal agency that was created specifically to police these things. You know I'm never going to be wealthy? What? Because I'm one of those dumb schlubs who's just like, let me go out and earn my paycheck. Mm. And I'm not like against the stock market. Like, I'll invest in the stock market and set up my 401k and all that. But I'm not, I I can't even fathom the kind of what causes someone to think of like, hey, how can I really make tons of money with no oversight? (laughs) And I'll invent this way to trade ether and not real ether. People would buy ether from me, probably, <laughs> especially would. drug dealers. Patrick Bateman would have eaten you alive. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I'd be so dead. So, um, there was a uh, July 2008 report by the uh, International Energy Agency that concluded that speculation didn't really have anything to do with it. They were like, no, 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 that's not what's driving oil prices up. Yeah. There was another report the next September contradicted the IEA report. It said, no, there's actually a lot of correlations between this big influx of money in oil futures mm-hmm. and the rising cost of oil. I mean, I'm a dummy. To me, it, it kind of looks plain that that's probably what's been happening. But there's probably a lot of people are going to write and say, oh, what you guys didn't consider was X, Y, Z. No, there's there's a lot of factors that that, um, that go into producing and buying and selling oil. And uh, there's no way you can cover all of them. And that's not the point. And I don't think that's anybody who's accusing the speculation of influencing the price. Right. 
that's not the point of anybody because it's not there's nobody who's going to say this is a hundred percent of the problem. There's sure. other stuff that does have this effect. Oh yeah. I think what gets people to say speculation is having an effect is because there's people out there who's like it has no effect. And that's just not possible that it, 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 a million futures contracts can't have yeah. some effect on the end price. And it is just correlated. It's not causal. Yeah, but oil but as, shot up so quickly exactly. right along with it. It was, yeah. I don't know. And I mean, ultimately, what, what it comes down to is uh, the average American who's still, you know, maybe unemployed, paying tons of money for food, is getting, you know, reamed at the pump still. And if there's anything that could be done to reduce that without causing harm to the, to the markets, right. why not? But hey, good news, Josh. In 2008, Congress introduced the Consumer First. Hey, how about that? Consumers First. Right. The Energy Act in May 2008. Yeah. And that would have extended oversight for the CFTC to uh, foreign lands. Yeah. Probably would have helped a lot. And it died on the Senate floor. A month later. A month later. Yeah. <laughs> they said, Consumer First, eh, let's kill it. They're talking about it now. Like um, this whole Obama push is basically making the oil companies out to be bad guys. So the Democrats are really taking, they're, they're banging the uh, war drum against right. uh, oil companies right now. And then and investment bankers are a fun target too. So this is the, this is coming up again. Right. But it's coming up like it did in 2008 because oil speculation is rampant. And but, I know everyone thinks we're we're anti capitalism, but that's not true at all. It was no, just just play fair. Untrue. Just play fair. Or at the very least admit that you're having the effect that you're having. Right. That's that's what I think would gall anybody who who is like, Yes, oil speculation has an effect. Right. Um and it's not just oil, by the way. If you want to read a really cool article um on speculation, commodity speculation, um read Frederick Kaufman's The Food Bubble. Uh, it's it, oh, yeah? he tries very hard but fails ultimately in the end to connect Goldman Sachs trading wheat and creating a wheat bubble mm-hmm. that created the food crisis in the riots in Haiti and Egypt in 2008. Wow. Um, and it's but he failed really, to connect it. He he came so close but he, he wasn't able to. Right. Um, but it's worth a read anyway. That was sure. in Harper's like last year. Interesting. Yeah. So that is oil speculation. Um, it's us speculating on oil speculation or speculating as little as we as we can, right? Right. Um, if you want to learn more about that, type in oil in the handy search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. We have a bunch of cool stuff on the site about that. Um, and I said oil followed by handy search bar, which means listener mail. Josh, I'm going to call this uh, sperm donation. Uh, dear Josh, Chuck, and Jerry. But I'm going to say Lizzie today. Yeah. Because Jerry has left us. Tell you it again. Dear Josh, Chuck, and Lizzie. Yeah. Uh, my name is Melanie. I'm a college student from Seattle, uh, attending full-time school in South Korea. I was listening to How Twins Work, and it made me think of my own unique family situation. Uh, my mom and legal father, her husband, could not have a child together, so they decided to get a sperm donor. Uh, the laws are looser now, but 20 years ago, information was more closed off and secretive. I grew up not knowing really anything about my real dad mm-hmm. until just about a month ago. In late February, the day before I was to depart back to South Korea, I got a letter in the mail from my real father. He lives in Athens, Georgia. Pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, We have been communicating through Facebook and email, and I've discovered that we have quite a bit in common, despite never knowing each other. Of course you do. Jeans, baby. It's all the jeans. I wonder if it turned out to be Biker Lee. (laughs) Uh, We have very similar handwriting, religious, spiritual beliefs, paranormal, paranormal experiences. 
TV sounds, sh- like, sounds like Biker Lee. <laughs> TV show taste. Uh, he is a nurse, and that was the first job I ever wanted. So it's not Biker Lee. No, it's not. And he was a journalist, and my main talent and a large interest of mine is writing. On top of all this, five years ago or so, my mom received a letter from a lady who had registered the same donor number. So, in short, I also have a half-brother. That is cool. That is very cool. Um, We were able to meet once, actually, my senior year, and also discovered we had several things in common. Uh, My boyfriend was a part Japanese guy named Max. (laughs) And as was his best friend, a part Japanese guy named Max. Wow. Same political views, both played guitar, same favorite band. Half brother, half sister, reunited. Does she say the same favorite band? She doesn't mention what the band is. Oh, okay. But uh, she said this leads me to my request that we do an episode on sperm and egg donation and how relationships can develop. So uh, let's add that to the kitty. Okay. To the queue. Yeah, let's do that. That's uh, Mel- we, Melanie A. Thanks a lot, Melanie. I'm glad Korea. you got to come uh, down to uh, Athens for a little while, right? No, she did not come down. She well, just uh, was in contact. You definitely have to go to Athens. Oh, yeah. And while you're there, make sure you eat at Harry Bissett's. I strongly recommend the chicken rochambeau. <laughs> okay. And they do not kick you in the crotch when you order it. I promise. This isn't like a, a prank. No, no. Um, if you were produced outside of the traditional means of reproduction, we want to hear about it. Yeah, good one. Um, uh, wrap it up, send it in an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?